I invite you to take your Bibles. This will be the final sermon as we've been working our way through this little book of Jonah. This will be the final sermon in this four-part series on the uh, book of Jonah. So turn to Jonah chapter 4, and uh, we will uh, read these first five verses together. Will you please stand in honor of the Word of God? (coughs) Words will be on the screen as well. But Jonah was greatly displeased. He became angry, and he prayed to the Lord. O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew you were gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat at a place east of the shelter, uh, made east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what the Lord, what would happen to the city. You may be seated. This is a very interesting account of Jonah's response after. Uh, God uses him in a very significant way to uh, bring a revival to the city of Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh uh, was full of the Assyrians who had greatly afflicted and committed terrible acts of terror against the people of God. And so Jonah is distressed that that. God has not destroyed the city as he had said he would do, and that's why he sent Jonah to that city. He sends him there to bear a message that God is willing to forgive even the most terrible of sinners, the people of Nineveh. But as we come here now to chapter 4, we discover that, that Jonah is very displeased Uh, He's upset with God. He's upset with everything that has occurred. It's interesting that uh, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where things don't seem to add up. Uh, There's not that silver lining behind the cloud. I'm reminded of the uh, Peanuts cartoon in which uh, Lucy and... uh, uh, Charlie are having a conversation, and uh, Charlie says to uh, to Lucy, he says, you know, you've always told me that when things are going bad, when things don't add up, that there's always a silver lining behind the proverbial cloud. And he says to Lucy, he says, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time finding that silver lining. I just can't seem to find it. And uh, he finally picks up a a little pillow that's in the shape of a cloud and part of the cloud is white and the other part is 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 dark and uh, so he hands it to Lucy says what do you think and uh, so Lucy says well I think we have a defective cloud well you know that's how Jonah is feeling at this time he feels like he has been handed a defective cloud and things have not turned out the way he's wanted them to turn out and he is just beside himself 
In fact, in a, in a very real sense, as we come to this fourth chapter, Jonah is really ticked off at God. He is just upset that God hasn't done to the city what he had said he was going to do. Instead, he's provided grace to these people because he saw the sincerity of their repentance and how they turned from evil to the living God. Now, in his humanness, and we have to understand here that, that Jonah is a prophet of God, but he's also very human. <laughs> I think sometimes we put people that are in leadership on pedestals and we think that uh, they don't, you know, they do everything well and they do everything perfectly. That's just not the case. Uh, we find out that Jonah at this point, uh, instead of being a prophet of God, he turns into a pouting prophet. Now, it's interesting when you begin to look up what the word pout really means. Uh, Webster's Dictionary describes pouting as, quote, showing displeasure by thrusting out the lips or wearing a sullen expression. Now, I've got two wonderful grandsons. Uh, when they were smaller, Benjamin and Brandon, they were cute as buttons. But let me tell you, when things didn't go their way, they made faces that could scare anybody. I mean, I mean, it was amazing. Now, you got a picture. Here's a grown man of God. Here's a grown man of God, and he's pouting, and you can just see he is not a happy camper, to say the least. And so... As we get into this chapter, we see that uh, he's downcast, he's disappointed, uh, he's miserable, and he can't find anything good coming out of this whole episode. You know, there are some folks that you run into that are just like Jonah. They always see the dark side of life. They, can, they can't see the good. It's always the dark side. And there are people oftentimes that are very critical of others. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, you will find out that a person who is struggling uh, with what has been going on in their lives oftentimes transfer that by way of deferral to people that are healthy. And it's very discouraging. It's very... Uh, disappointing when that takes place. Now, it's very interesting that Jonah here shows a side of his character that we had not seen before. Uh, and we see this being played out in this story very significantly. Now, it's interesting as we get into this passage that in each one of the chapters, Jonah is learning some life lessons. And one of the things that we need to understand as the people of God, that as we walk in uh, our journey of life, there are life lessons that we need to learn. And we see this very specifically uh, with Jonah. For example, in chapter 1, you'll remember Jonah is on the run. 
God calls him to go to Nineveh. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh. So he goes in the exact opposite direction and flees to Tarshish. He gets on a boat and goes in an opposite direction uh, because he hasn't discovered how to make life worth living. And he thinks he knows better than God. And when God speaks to him, John takes matters into his own hands and he flees in an opposite direction. But you'll remember there in chapter 1 that through a series of crisis points, uh, God gets his attention, and Jonah in chapter 1 learns an important lesson about God. He learns about God's providence. You can never outrun God. No matter where you go, you cannot escape the presence, the pursuit of a holy God. And so in chapter 1, he learns about God's providence. Chapter 2, we find out that he has now been swallowed by this great fish. And for the first time in his life, he, he prays. And the other thing that he does, which he hadn't done all through chapter 1, in chapter 2, he admits that he's messed up. And he asks God to forgive him. And in the belly of the great fish, he learns a second lesson. He learns about God's providence, or excuse me, God's pardon. You see this in verse 7. He said, when my life was ebbing away, in chapter 2 and verse 7, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, uh, you spared my life. You took care of me. You pardoned me. Uh, when he's in the fish's belly, he learns something about God's pardon, that God is always ready to forgive. And at that point, uh, the run is all out of him. Uh, he's been captured by this great fish, and now he learns something about God that he had forgotten. Chapter 3, God gives Jonah a second chance. And this second time around, uh, God uses Jonah to spark a spiritual awakening that sweeps through the entire city of Nineveh, from the greatest of them to the least of them. They turn from their violence. And here in chapter 3, he learns about God's power. God has the power to, to change the most evil terrorists in the world. These people in Nineveh are terrorists. They, they mutilated people. But in the sovereignty of God, God takes Jonah into that city and he sees his power in the fact that that entire city, from the king on down, repents and turns away and acknowledges God to be the living and the true God. And uh, God's words are on his lips, and God uses him to be a transformative agent in the life of that city. Now, you would think that after all these experiences, after learning about God's providence, his pardon, and his power, you, you would think that, that Jonah would be excited and on the cutting edge. He's learned that life is much greater than a focus upon his desires. He's learned that, that God is in control and he is not. But that's just the opposite. You come to chapter 4, 
And instead of praising God and being thankful for God, what God has done in his life, sparing his life, giving him new life, using him to transform a city, instead of praise, we see that Jonah is pouting. He is sulking because God doesn't destroy the city. He's sulking because these hated Assyrians have been given a second chance. And he's feeling sorry for himself. Things didn't go his way. Now just picture Jonah. Uh, here's a grown man who God has used, but he is just beside himself. He's upset. You didn't do, God, what you said you were going to do. You didn't keep your word. Well, I've made a fool of myself. I said that in 40 days and 40 nights, Nineveh was going to be destroyed, and now nothing happens. I've made a fool of myself. I'm upset. God, you didn't do things my way. Well, you see, in chapter 4, Jonah needs to learn a final lesson. He's learned about God's providence. He's learned about God's pardon. He's learned about God's power, but he needed to learn one more lesson. He needed to learn about God's pity, that he is a merciful God, that he is a compassionate God. He has compassion, not just for the Jews, but for all people, even these hated Assyrians who have done so much damage to his people. And, and that is why he was so upset that God didn't destroy them. But God says, I want you to learn a lesson about myself that I'm compassionate even toward those who don't deserve my love, who don't deserve my grace and my mercy. I want you to understand that I am a compassionate God toward them. And so we come to chapter 4. There are two gigantic contrasts. First of all, we see the littleness of man, and in contrast, we see the bigness of God. First of all, I want you to note the depression of Jonah. Verse 1 of chapter 4, but Jonah was greatly displeased and he became angry. Now, it's very interesting. While he's obeying God, while he's doing God's work and carrying out the mission in which God calls him, he is bold, he is courageous, he is happy, he is effective. His attention now is on doing what God has called him to do. But as we come to chapter 4, there is a sudden change in his disposition that tells us that once again he has taken his focus off what God's called him to do, and he's now focusing only on himself. And we see a very self-centered prophet. He doesn't rejoice in being used to the Lord. He doesn't rejoice that an entire city has been spared, given a new lease on life. Rather, he's disappointed, he's disillusioned, he's downcast, and he's defeated. And as we dig into the text, we discover that there are two inner feelings that contribute to his dis disappointment and depression. And by the way, these two feelings that we're going to identify are usually present in anyone 
who is displeased and discouraged, downcast, and even depressed. These are usually the feelings that are present. First of all, Jonah is angry. Notice, he was greatly, dis- he was greatly displeased and became angry. Now why? Because God hasn't destroyed the city. Jonah, though he finally obeys God, he finally does what God asks him to do, he did it begrudgingly. He still really didn't love the people. He didn't love the people for whom he proclaimed the gospel. (coughs) Excuse me. After all, are not they the hated Assyrians that have mistreated and abused his people? They don't deserve a second chance. They don't deserve to be delivered. And though Jonah knows the word of God, listen to me, he doesn't know the God of the word. He doesn't know the God of the word. And from God's point of view, salvation was not simply for the Jews. It was for all peoples, even these hated, despicable Assyrians, the people of Nineveh. And when God doesn't destroy the city, Jonah's displeasure is so heightened that he becomes angry. He becomes boiling on the inside, and his anger stems from his own self-centeredness and his hatred of the people of Nineveh. And so in verse 2, you'll notice that he prays. But it is a prayer of complaint. Notice, he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, this is... Is not this what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. See, he helps us understand that one of the reasons he went in the opposite direction is because he knew who God was, and he knew that if the people would repent, that God would respond in kind, and he didn't want that to happen. And he is focused completely upon himself. He's afraid the people would respond to God's message and they would find compassion from God. They don't deserve that in his mind. And so Jonah complains to God. Now, here's what I want us to understand. (coughs) Excuse me. You will find that a person who is displeased and angry is usually a complaining person. They will complain about things, and they will accuse others of things that usually and many times are issues that they themselves are struggling with. Angry people are complaining people. And Jonah, in this particular situation, is all discouraged and in a snit. He is sulking, and he blames God for being God, for acting in a way that is consistent with his character. Notice, he says in verse 2, I knew that you are gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He knows all this about God, but he's upset now that God has demonstrated his character in withholding the punishment 
that he said would come to these people unless they repented. Oftentimes, when things don't go our way, we just like Jonah. We're tempted to blame others. We're tempted to disagree with God. Even though we know, even though we know better, even though we know that, that God is never inconsistent with his being, we get all bent out of shape because we think we still know better than God. Now notice what Jonah knows about God. It's very interesting. Verse 2, he knows that God is gracious. He always has man's best interest in mind. God is always looking out for the best of us. He knows that God is compassionate. He loves undeserving people. He knows God is slow to anger. He knows this. It's in his mind. It's in his head. He knows God is abounding in love. Notice. And he knows that God is ready to put aside judgment when people turn from their evil ways. Jonah knows all this about God and his character. He has it all up in his head, but because his focus is on himself, it doesn't make any sense. And it's like, over my dead body, I am just upset. Now, again, you see the inconsistency. You see when our focus is not on the mission that God gives us, but our focus is on ourselves, we end up contradicting ourselves many times. For example, in chapter 2 and verse 6, notice, when he is in the belly of the fish, notice what he says, he is so thankful for God being gracious. He says in verse 6, the last part of it, but you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, O Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. He is so gracious that God has preserved him, that God has taken care of him. Yet now here in chapter 4 and verse 2, he's upset that God has shown that very same graciousness to the people of Nineveh. God, you shouldn't be gracious to them. You shouldn't have compassion on them. Not only is he angry, but number two, he is suffering from a severe case of self-pity. Notice verse 3. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He feels so sorry for himself that judgment hasn't coming. He says, I don't want to live. Just, Lord, take my life. I'm angry, and I feel sorry for myself. Lord, just take my life. Now, let's be very honest this morning. Both. Anger and self-pity are sins. And we need to confess them and turn away from them and ask God to fill us with a fresh consciousness of his presence which enables us to get our focus off ourselves and back on him. Most of our problems in our Christian life is when we are focused on ourselves. 
And this is Jonah's big problem here in chapter 4. The focus has shifted away from doing what God's asked him to do and rejoicing and the results that have followed. Now he is focused upon himself and he is miserable, he is angry, and he is full of self-pity. By the way, anger and self-pity are joy killers. They're the things that sap us of our joy. They kill peace and blessing and fruitfulness and spiritual productivity. When anger and self-pity are in the driver's seat of our lives, disappointment and displeasure and discouragement will follow. And the only way to get relief is to turn our focus back to God. <laughs> That's what he's after. He wants our focus to be turned back toward him. Now, not only do you see the uh, depression of Jonah, but you see now in verse 4 the compassion of God. Notice, but God replied, have you any right to be angry? I love this. It's, it's as if God puts his arm around Jonah and says, oh, come on, Jonah. <laughs> You're my servant. I love you. Do <laughs> you have any right to get all in a snit over this? I'm God. I've used you. You have been an instrument that's brought great blessing to others. Do you have any right to be all upset? Uh, let me ask you a question. When, when your kids give you a hard time, you don't respond in anger to them, do you? No. You kind of put your arm around them and say, hey, come on, let's, let's get this fixed. <laughs> let's, let's get this taken care of. And that's the picture of God now as he reaches out to this pouting prophet and he said have you any right have you any right to get all out of shape over this and all through this little book God uses the forces of nature to arrest Jonah's attention and to get him to focus on something other than himself Notice in chapter 1, he uses the raging sea and the storming wind. In chapter 2, he uses the great fish to deal with Jonah. Chapter 3, he uses the beasts of the field. He talks about the flocks of the field. He talks about food. He talks about water. And now here in chapter 4, he talks about a vine, a worm, a scorching east wind and a blazing sun to teach Jonah some timeless truth. Now, I want you to notice the key phrase in verses 6, 7, and 8. Remember, Jonah is all upset. He goes outside, makes a shelter for himself to see what's going to happen to the city. Now, notice verse 6. Then the Lord God provided Put a circle around that word provided. A better translation would be God appointed a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah is very happy about the vine. Notice, I mean, he's ecstatic. Oh, praise Jesus. I'm no longer suffering from the blazing heat of the sun. But the next day, notice here it is again. 
God, what? He provided. He appointed a worm that chewed the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided. There it is again. Scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. In other words, God through these various episodes with the vine and then with the worm and then with this blazing heat, he's trying to arrest Jonah's attention and get his attention off himself. And in verse 6, when God steps into the picture and he provides this plant, kind of a jack and a beanstalk plant that sprouts up quickly overnight, Jonah's happy. He's happy as can be. But then when it's cut down by the worm, he's upset because what was benefiting him has now been taken away. It's chewed by a worm, withered to the ground. His joy is short-lived, and notice, verse 8, he repeats what he said previously. He says, it would be better for me to die than to live. Oh, God, you've taken away this, this vine. You've, you've, I, 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 I don't want to live anymore. He, he just, again, focusing totally upon himself. And it's very interesting. He says, I am angry enough to die. Be better for me to die. Actually, in verse 9, God says to Jonah, Do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. How sad. Instead of rejoicing in all that God has done, he's willing to end it all. God comes alongside Jonah and says, Hey, do you actually believe that the shade of this vine is more significant than the welfare of an entire city? Look at verse 11. He says, But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand, and many cattle as well. The Hebrew is very interesting there. The Hebrew word for people really is little children. You see, God has a great love for little people. And he says, Jonah, Nineveh has more than 120,000 little people who can't discern their right hand from the left hand. Shouldn't I show compassion toward these precious children? It tells us that God has a special place in his heart for little people. He not only desires to spare adults from destruction, but also to spare children. And in saying this to Jonah, he is saying that even though you despise these people of Nineveh because of what they've done to your people, the little children I care deeply for, shouldn't I have compassion on them? Shouldn't you, Jonah, have compassion 
on these precious little people. See, Jonah's concern for the vine is selfish. He's sorry because the worm has cut it down, and now he's experiencing the scorching east winds and the blazing heat of the sun. But God is much more concerned for his whole creation. He's concerned, and he says to Jonah, should not I have compassion, be concerned about that great city? And in that great city are all these precious children. Should I not have compassion for them? In other words, God is trying to help Jonah understand that God has a special love for people who have distanced themselves from him. Never underestimate the compassion of God. His compassion reaches to the farthest corners of the earth. The Bible says that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He sends Jonah to be his voice to point the people of Nineveh to his gracious love. And Jonah needs to learn another lesson. And the lesson he needs to learn is simply this, that he needs to love others as God loves others. He needs to have compassion on those for whom God has compassion. And my friends, we live in a community today that is so needy. It blows me away when we stop and think of all the needs that are right here in Traverse City. During the prayer walk yesterday, as I was praying, I had a family invite me into their home, said, we need prayer. This gentleman's wife had been paralyzed. Half of her body was paralyzed from her neck all the way down. And she said, he said, my wife needs prayer. We spent probably 20, 25 minutes in that home just praying together. That's a microcosm of the need that there is in this community for Christ followers to build relationships with people who have need. I mean, I was just kind of blown away. Here was a situation, I was just inviting them to the trunk or treat. But they said, Pastor, come in. We want you to pray. Let me tell you, there are homes, we, will, we drive up and down our streets and we think everything is copacetic. We have no idea the trauma and the turmoil It goes on in families, and they need the Lord, and they need the compassion of God's people, and we, just like Jonah, need to learn to love as God loves. And then the second thing we need to learn is that people matter to God. Even the most despised person matters to God. The person that drives us up 
the wall needs Jesus. People all around us, people need the Lord. And it's very interesting that those are the two major lessons that we gain from this last chapter. We need to love people as God loves people, and we need to understand that every individual has value and worth. People need the Lord. Now, this little book points out to us that one of Jonah's biggest problems is Jonah. But the solution to Jonah's problem is to love people the way God loves people and to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength. Now, it's very interesting that the book of Jonah doesn't tell us whatever happened to Jonah. It doesn't tell us if the people of Nineveh, it does, excuse me, it does tell us that the people of Nineveh turned to God. The city is not destroyed. But the book doesn't tell us what happened to Jonah. Did he just stay out there in the wilderness? Did he ever go back to his hometown? Did he ever go back into Nineveh and disciple those that had come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? Or did he just stay out there sulking? Was there a change of heart? Did he ever repent of his anger and self-pity? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But I am convinced, after studying this little book for the last four weeks, I do believe, because God is sovereign, because God is in control even of his stubborn servants, is that Jonah did repent of his stubbornness, his hard-heartedness, and I believe he actually did discover dimensions and oceans of God's love. Well, why didn't he tell us that, Pastor? I don't know. I really don't know. I believe simply this, that God wants us to complete the story of Jonah. You see, life can only be worth living when God is in control. And when we experience his forgiveness and power and we become full of his love and we love people as God loves people, I believe we are providing a fitting conclusion to this great little book. If you know Jesus, if you love God with all your heart, And people matter to you as they matter to God. Each of us are providing the right kind of a conclusion to this little book. Let's stand together, shall we, for a closing prayer. Lord Jesus, if we're honest, we can all identify with Jonah. 
So many times we get upset with you because you don't do things our way. We think we know better than you. We get in a snit over things that we shouldn't be coming angry about. We allow our feelings of self-pity to diminish our effectiveness in serving you and serving each other and loving each other as you have called us to. And so, Lord, I pray that as we conclude this little book that you would help all of us to leave this place with a desire to love you more than we've ever loved you before, to follow hard after you, and to love people the way you love them. Help us, Lord, to take some risks this coming week. Step out of our comfort zone and reach out to our neighbors and our friends. Just let them know we're praying for them and watch you open doors of opportunity that we could never open ourselves. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha, lo he comes. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you all.